And we're back with another episode of the ANS podcast. My name is Anthony. I'm here, as always, with the gorgeous, the most intelligent woman this side of the English Channel, Miss Olivia Jaskolka. Hey, Liv. Hi, afternoon. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for my intro. I'm not sure if I am the most intelligent person this side of the uh, English Channel, but I'll take it. Well, I've always said that people will believe anything if it's in the form of a compliment. That is becoming a catchphrase, by the way, on this podcast. It is. We're not going to get any guests for season two if we keep um, filling them with lies. Yeah. Can you believe we, we're actually having a season finale? We made it to a full series. I'm really excited about the concepts of this season finale. So we've done 18 episodes. Oh, no, we've done 20 episodes. This is number 20. Is it number 20? Um, it is. Um, feels like a major milestone and we've made it this far. Love the idea of, of closing off in a big crescendo and then we can come back with some renewed energy for for season two mm. when we started this i mean i remember you coming to me and saying let's let's do a podcast and uh did you think we were gonna it was gonna go for a, a to complete a season and us to, or to already be planning the second season no idea it was just just a bit of a bit of a whim really i think we did a survey back in march 2020 to all our customers how do you want to be communicated to via um you know from a and s throughout the pandemic you know is it email is it video this that and podcast came out as top and we instantly regretted it putting it on the survey because <laughs> we didn't have a podcast so we scrambled <laughs> around to, to make one um, and I think we've done really well out of it from there. It's, um, you know, it's gone from strength to strength. It's been really interesting. If nothing else, I've had a great time. Exactly. I've learned a lot. Um, so hopefully our, our listeners have as well. Brilliant. I can't believe, I didn't realise that you went, you put a survey out to customers and then you did, then you asked me to come and co-host it with you. Build you it and they'll come. That's what <laughs> <like>. That's brave. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. So we are now in Q1. We got through Q4. How how was your mental health at the end of the last three months? Did you, are you, or are you just can't see any end in sight because we're um, planning the next 12 months? Yeah, for me in marketing, I guess, you know, asking Gaz and Sales that question, you'll get a different answer. But for, for me, it all starts in Q1. We um, got sales kickoff coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got loads of new messaging to launch for that. So the hard work is is still still ongoing but there's mm. light at the end of the tunnel and i'm very excited about it all won't reveal yeah. anything don't ask me well no leaks i guess then coming out of this final episode not even one not even one my lips are sealed oh damn i uh i mean yeah because i mean we got back after easter and all i spent the last two days doing is planning what i'm going to do it's like calling a meeting to decide when i'm going to have a meeting but um, it's going to be really busy over the next couple of months. But I'm actually really excited with some of the stuff that we've got coming up. I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I'm certainly not going to leak any of it. But we are we are joined today by uh, the big man. We say the big man. I've I've he heard rumours. He is why. a big man. That's I would say. <laughs> I'd say what is he? Six foot four. Six foot six. Six foot six. Okay, yeah. Mr. Paul Shannon. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to call you our Lord and Master, but I didn't want people to think that we were living under a dictatorship. No, I would, <laughs> I was, I would request people to call me by that either, so. But six foot six, did you play basketball at school? Uh, I didn't. I am um, 
physically inept when it comes to sports, really, which is why the only sport I ever played as a kid, really, was um, I played rugby and that was it. And I wasn't actually very good at rugby either. I only played it because I was tall. Uh, I am rubbish at football, cricket, ball sports, racket sports, all of it, really. Um, I, I, I've, I think I've got a similar history. They put me on the rugby team as well because I was tall. And um, they made me a left winger, which was as far away from the action as you could possibly get. But I think all I did was run up and down the field and fill in the numbers. But You normally have to be very, very fast playing that position as well. So are you, are you fast? Were you fast? Yeah, well, I was, I've always been a good runner, like, but I've been more of a distance runner. Like if I couldn't sprint, unless, of course, it was you know, for, for, for free beer, I guess I could give it a go. But like, I certainly, I'm certainly not someone who can dash very quickly, but I think I might've been when I was at school. I was a little bit slimmer when I was at school. I was a bit more agile, I think. Yeah, no, I'm terrible at sports. My brother was good at sports. Uh, I got the brains, he got the brawn. So was you always into computers then when you were, when you were younger? Yeah, well, that actually started when, so my dad, uh, used to be a bus driver when we were when we were really young, and eventually he, he got a job in the office at the same company and worked his way up to become ops director eventually. Um, but earlier on, they were throwing away some PCs from 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 his work, and he brought one home. And I was probably twelve, and at that point, then I started dismantling PCs, rebuilding them, going to computer fairs, you know, getting memory for as cheap as I possibly could, uh, upgrading it, pimping it up. So that was that was where it really started. Oh, wow. So did you play a lot of the um, LucasArts DOS games back in the day? Yeah, DOS games. Yeah, I, I was obsessed with gaming, but it was particularly, it was more build, you know, writing computer programs, you know, not very sophisticated ones. Uh, and I was never really the best programmer in the world, but just generally, it was more the hardware, really, that, excited, that, that I enjoyed working with, which is why I ended up doing what I, do, what, what I did as a career when I first started out in IT. Yeah, yeah. so what, what, what was your, um, so, because... Your journey, because your journey has been, I think, has been quite has been quite insp- inspiring because you're not terribly old, and um, and you're and you're leading this business and 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 you're doing a really good job. From my and I've seen people run businesses really badly, so be able to be part of one that's run really well is actually quite refreshing. But um, my I think my point is you 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 your i would love to, your career path like when you started when you were when you were first when you were younger what was your first job in it uh, for first proper job in it was actually a really cool job and i got it because um, of a friend so a friend but he left i actually started work proper in mother care world of all places nothing to do with it at all <laughs> um, and uh, the guy who got me my first it job i met there a guy called paul james who's a lovely guy and he left uh, a full-time role at mother care world um, whilst he, after he finished university, he then went to work for a company build, building websites and they had a job that he really wanted to do, but he couldn't do it as well as the web development, which was a, a games tester. So I did actually end up with a really cool job, first of all, and it was the first console I remember doing any tests on was the Sega Dreamcast. Um, oh, wow. With the fishing rod, the uh, Sega Bass games, all of that. So that was my first proper IT job. Uh, and then I, I did that until I went to university. Uh, then yeah. I got kicked out of university and went back into IT again. Right. So when you were doing QA testing, I think, is is it things like you had to like run through the game by pressing left all the time or something because you were trying to find the bugs? No, that... no, it was, it, was, it was reviewing. So that was a game. Oh. Yeah, so I, I was reviewing games. It was a really, oh. really, yeah, it was a top job. So literally I just went to 
went to their office in St. Helens, as it was at the time, yeah. um, and played games all day. Uh, and then wrote reviews about the games for the website that my friend was developing. So, yeah, it was because the, web, the website doesn't exist anymore. It's called Game Venue. And I used to write the reviews because uh, I've always been interested in, you know, English language and yeah. writing. And, um, so, yeah, I wrote the reviews as well as playing the game. So that was probably, in terms of cool job, the cool IT jobs, there are some out there. And that's probably the only time that I've had a, what you would call a cool job in that, IT. That's an... only jobs, that's the only cool one. That is an amazing... Oh, my God. I'm actually seriously green with envy right that would be like my dream job growing up i was obsessed with i mean i still am i mean i'm nearly 40 and i'm still obsessed with computer games there's but, nothing wrong with that no there's nothing wrong with that i'm 41 and i do still like playing computer games. i don't have time to do it but i do like i do enjoy it yeah i seem to buy more games than i play at the moment i i, I buy them with intent intentions of of getting through them and then and then i ne and then just we're grown-ups it doesn't happen as often as we would i think we'd like no, but the game that I became most obsessed with ever was whilst I was at university and was almost certainly a contributing factor to subsequently getting kicked out of uni uh, for poor attendance was uh, football manager, championship manager as it was then. I played that over and over and over for hours and hours, uh, you know, 48 hours straight without going to sleep, which I know is very, very, very weird, uh, but I was totally obsessed with it. Well, I've got a really gri grisly story just about just how obsessed I was. And I think uh, after 48 hours of playing it, uh, walking back into the room after uh, I'd had a break and I saw a lemonade bottle with wee in it because I didn't want to take it a second. I didn't want to waste any time even going to the toilet. So I was weeing in a lemonade bottle. And after I took a break and walked back in, I thought, you probably need to wind this being a bit of this, this, this is getting on top. Oh, was that I... the line? That's the, that's the proverbial line when you realise you crossed it. <laughs> yes, that was the that was the line. I thought I need to sort my life out. I've got friends here that have been out on nights out. So this was a Friday night, Saturday night, well Sunday morning. I thought that we mates have been out uh, partying in Liverpool. You know, one of the best places to go out partying in the country. And I was like, oh no, I can't come. I'm busy. They're like, you're not busy. You're playing on football manager. I was like, no, no, I'll come out later. And I never did. And I just thought, wow, what a weirdo. <laughs> oh dear so um I, i'm gonna i'm gonna veer off the subject of urine for a second I was gonna... <laughs> uh, so um um when when did you first join join ans well, you were here at the very beginning i believe or just shortly uh, no, after no, no. I, i've been here for 12 years or not far off the day so i started in oh. 2009 march the 26th i remember the date not just because it's a landmark in my career but also i was coming joining ans which has been very very good to me but also it's my brother's birthday the 26th of march 2009 so not just over 12 12 years i've been here Oh right, okay. I think it's because you're so synonymous with the DNA of the business. It it just feels like you could have been one of the architects. Do you know what I mean? That's because I've got a, a big mouth and I've, I've, <laughs> I've got to open it, so people do think that I'm part of the furniture. But uh, actually, yeah, twelve years, which is still a long time anyway. Uh, but mm. ANS has been around for twenty five years, so I've been here for nearly yeah. half of its existence. When you joined the business, did you have aspirations of becoming the CEO? Not the CEO. So I do talk about this occasionally when people ask me about it. Because I became CEO when I was 37. Um, after what, eight years, I think it is, uh, I've been here. And I didn't, I always knew I wanted to be a director. I always knew that I wanted to be you know, commercial and, and more of a business person than just a techie. Mm. Um, and I think with, with technical people, you either become the very, very, very best 
of what you do. Like we've got some people at A&S that are just the very, very best at what they do and they just honed it and honed it over time. I knew I didn't want to do that. I knew that at some point I wanted to work in pre-sales and I wanted to, you know, I did even flirt with being a salesperson at A&S for a period before moving into, um, before moving out of the pre-sales team. But probably, uh, probably about two years in, one of the key moments is when I joined A&S, I wanted to go straight into pre-sales. And Scott Fletcher, uh, founder, he said, you can go into pre-sales after you've delivered this job. It's a, a job that I had the skills that uh, people, uh, A&S at that point in time, didn't have the VMware and NetApp skills, and I did from the company I joined from. So right. said, but Scott made a commitment to me, and he said, the day that you get this job signed off, it's a six-month project, the day that you get it signed off is the day that you can move into pre-sales. So I thought, right. Well, what if I do it quicker? He said, if you can do it quicker, you can go into pre-sales quicker. So I basically moved to Birmingham, West Brom, uh, for, well, I was planning to be there for a maximum of six months, but I wanted to do it as quickly as I could. So basically, I moved to a horrible, vile hotel that I think is still there called the, Day, the Days Inn. It was a right grotto, but it was right opposite the customer. And I went, and pretty much in 18 hours a day, every day that I was there for three months and finished the job, and I went back to the A&S office after I finished the job and put me the signed off uh, project paper from the customer on Scott's desk and I went, right, can I go in pre-sales now? He said, yep, you can. And I went straight into pre-sales. And from that point, I thought, well, this they made the commitment at the beginning. The first opportunity that they've had to follow up on a commitment they've made to me, they've, they've honoured it. So this mm. feels like you know a good place to work. And then every single time, there was an opportunity that I could stick my nose in and maybe add a bit of value, then I was pushed out of my comfort zone and just pushed and pushed and pushed on. So eventually I became a CEO, which was handed over from Paul Sweeney. So I didn't know at the beginning, but I did think that when I got made a director in 2013, I did think this could be really, really good for me here. I could end up being you know, even more uh, influential and taking more of the reins um, than I've got now as a director. Uh, you just don't know exactly how it's going to open up. And it just, yeah, I think just continually trying to add value every day in a company that where value gets recognised, eventually it, I thought this could happen, and it did. Yeah. I mean, it's like a gut feeling, I guess, as well, when, you're, when, you, when you join a business and or you start somewhere, you just know, I think sometimes, that it's the right move. I was talking to uh, someone today who started with the business um, last week, in the last week or so, and um, I'm not going to mention the name, but the, they, they came from uh, a business who uh, I basically, I was meant to interview for the day, the day I had my interview at ANS. And I had my interview with uh, Cheryl. And then uh, I came out of that interview, which ran over by an hour because we were chatting as if I've known her my whole life. And I phoned them up and I cancelled the interview. And I hadn't even got the job at that point. But I just knew, walking out of that first interview, I knew straight away that, that this, was, this was me. And do you know what? It was just that gut feeling. Yeah. Have, have you ever had that, Liv? Um, mine's a bit mixed, really. I think I had the feeling on the interview. Then my first day, I remember, I can't, and I can't, for the, mine's 13 years ago, so my, my memory's fading a bit, but I can't remember for the life of me why or where I was getting on a train home. 
Um, and I remember bursting out, and I'm not really an emotional person, I don't cry a lot, but I remember bursting out crying on the train on the way home, and this lady had to give me a tissue. And I was like, I just don't know what anybody's talking about. <laughs> and I'll never understand what anybody's talking about, because I think someone had tried to tried to teach me the history of, of technology and networking and everything. And I was like, but I thought I was in a marketing role, I don't understand it. And I just thought, I'm never, ever going to understand what what the hell's going what what we even do as a business and then literally two days later um yeah got that feeling back again it was an all staff um and I Paul Sweeney made me get up and present um present at an all staff because I've been to a VMware conference the day before and everything was falling into place and yeah I probably got that feeling there tiny little wobble after my first day um but I think that was just because the anticipation the excitement and I was so excited about it and then I thought I have no idea what what people have been talking about for the last eight hours I don't know any of the words that came out of the mouth mm. um so yeah oh I see what you I mean it is one of those things I guess when you're when you feel like you're a bit out of your depth but then it sort of starts clicking have you ever felt out of your depth um Paul oh uh, ANS yeah loads of times mm. yeah I mean I've that, that I, I've come to embrace um and it's become more uh, commonly talked about these days about being out of your comfort zone. It's you know it's firmly into you know management speak parlance now. It's everywhere. But I, I came to realise, even though I didn't know exactly what name to put on it, that that's probably the reason for, for most of the success that I've had is that is uh, I would go into stuff thinking, wow, this is this has got the potential to really trip me up, really make me look stupid. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought I could take this on so readily. Um, mm. But I, I've always had the mantra of just saying yes to pretty much everything, you mean personally and professionally. And I think it could have, if you worry about it too much and the implications of saying yes to everything, then you don't, you won't do it and you're never really out of your comfort zone. So, yeah, I've, I've, that's often happened. The ANS is more than anywhere in any part of my personal life or professional, any job I've ever worked. It's, yeah, I wouldn't say it's regular now, but I've gone through long periods where, you think, oh my God, why did I say yes to this is going to be, if I get this wrong, this could be catastrophic for me, but more importantly, for the business, if I get it wrong, and you know, with that kind of trepidation, having already said yes, the trepidation is probably focuses the mind thinking, well, I have said yes now, so I've got to make it work, and I think that, that attitude and approach really is what's made me successful, and frankly, a lot of people at ANS successful, most mm. people the, the ones that have really added massive value over the years um, in whatever role, in whatever department. Most of them are cut from a similar cloth. We're at, we're, you know, we've got different personalities, but the approach bit is largely similar. I think with with the, with lots of people within AMS, certainly all of the uh, the execs and the, you know the, the the managers throughout the business are cut from the same cloth. Mm. Do you remember? Because it's quite funny talking about like out of debt and and it's really as you say like coming out of your comfort zone and in and facing challenges head on really and um and we've had andy on on the podcast and we've and we've always talked for as long as i've been with the business which is four years this week by the way um we hasn't it flown it doesn't feel like it at all um but we we always talk about like moving very quickly and um and making these sweeping changes um strategically as a business and i still remember when we basically went full-on cloud and it was a huge shift do you remember the moment that you were i think you were, were in andy's kitchen maybe if i remember correct the story correctly you do remember correctly yeah yeah do you remember the day where you basically said 
this is the future. How are we going to do this? We, yeah, so it's probably in the board meetings towards the end of 2016. We, we, we knew, we know the trigger as well, because we were very, very successful at FlexPods, managed services and Cisco networks, really, really successful. But we could, we, we saw, we could see on the horizon and we could see me, you know, what was happening to us right then. We could see some margin pressures with the services that we delivered. We could see that we're having to start selling other, the commodity players, um, in the market. So, you know, the CDWs and the softcats were putting some pressure on uh, pricing pressure across the market. And I think me, Andy, so, you know, some of the rest of the board, we sat there and we, we were like, we've got two decisions to make. We've got two choices to make, rather, one decision. And the choices are we can either stay in fighting this market, which is becoming a market share based market, or we can identify, and I think we knew it then which one it was going to be, we can identify a growth market that is growing massively where you don't have to fight mm. against as many um, other competitors. You still have to fight to win business because it's hard when you're, when you're in business with customers because uh, they are very demanding, but it's easier to win, and I do use that word loosely, it's easier to win business in a growth market than it is constantly uh, competing in a market share. So that, that was towards the end of 2016, so what would have been um, FY17. Yeah. Um, and then once we'd worked out that the board had worked out that this was what we were going to do and we we're going to go all in that coincided not accidentally with the timing from paul sweeney thinking well actually this is andy's polls chris's this is their uh, strategy going forward so i'll step aside and become chairman and that's the point where i became ceo it's right. like well, you go and execute on your vision and i'll be here for support as chairman oh wow so it all sort of the way it all sort of synced up it seemed almost like Jigsaw, well, I'm going to say jigsaw, like things were just aligning in a certain way. And yes, obviously, exactly. yeah. And then, and then Liv, because you've been, how long have you been on the board, Liv? It's, it's about the same time. So it's about five years, five years from January. So the same time Paul Sweeney, um, you know, stepped down as CEO to, to chairman, uh, Gaz and I joined the board as sales, sales director and marketing director. So um, now I've got like, Mr. Paul Shannon and, and Miss Olivia just Colker together, two board members. I do need to ask you both: Have there been any spectacular, juicy fights in, in any of the board meetings? And can you spill <laughs> any gossip? Everybody <laughs> always asks this question, and I think it's probably come from you, Anthony. But, um, <laughs> it's not like that. It's not. Um, there's no kind of like Alan Sugar moments. There's no, um, you know, massive bum fights or anything. It, it's. It's. Um, you know. It's. I think. I feel my personal experience has always been really positive um positive breeding ground for ideas and, and that kind of thing welcoming opportunity and, and change um and you know yeah find it really exciting rather than than a daunting challenging um experience oh that's yeah, just... I, I agree with that I, I, we are we do speak to each other in a very robust way uh, but it's always um we're obviously we're all very close personal friends as well as um we're colleagues and we've, yeah. got, we've got a massive amount of respect for each other professionally because everybody delivers on what mm. they say they're going to do um but the the, the, the environment um, i think probably the best way to articulate it is that nigel ray who is an external shareholder in ans and a, and a significant shareholder he is a serial investor you know a well-respected businessman he, almost certainly a billionaire um from all his investments that he's made over the years and he's also happens to be a really lovely guy um, he is the owner of Saracen's Rugby Club. He's a lovely, lovely fella. Almost every board meeting that he leaves, 
he turns around and says to me or to you know to the other guys, he'll say, "What you've got here is actually really special." He says, "I've been in more board meetings than I can care to remember, and this is really really unusual." Uh, don't ever do anything to compromise it because the way you speak to each other <clears throat> when you're trying to get to an answer is robust and direct, but no one takes any of it personally. But the yeah. way that you enjoy each other's company and you laugh and he said, I, I, I can see when we go social, because occasionally we'll go for meals after uh, the board meeting and Nigel will be there. He just, he's seen it all and done it all. And the, the words coming from him like that mean a lot uh, because we only know for uh, most of us, in fact, all of us, I think, now they're on the board uh, at ANS, the de directors. We've only ever been directors at ANS, so it's we do try our best not to become insular about it. But it can, it's quite easy to just assume that this is normal, and mm. it's, it's it's you know it's good to hear from Nigel. It isn't normal, but it is special, so protect it. Yeah, I mean, it, doesn't, it, he, doesn't he refer to us as a band of brothers? Yes, <laughs> and I am going to mention. Um, covid because we it's hard to ignore the year that we've we've gone through and um i would say it's accurate to describe what we've been in at ans is a bubble over the last year as well um weathering this this pandemic i mean what are your thoughts paul culture has driven the way we've dealt with it is that we've been i think we've been really respectful of people that have been genuinely uh, fearful and scared about the situation we've been uh, we've kept the we, we kept the office open after lockdown one purely so that people who were in a tough a tougher working environment than you know certainly for the directors we've all all got our own homes and we've all got our own mostly got our own office space but we we're really cognizant of the fact that not everybody has so we kept the office open for people who are in house shares and some of them have literally they were working on their bed at the end of their bed which is mm. not good for them it's certainly not good for the posture the well-being um and the mental health so that's what we, we we've always been conscious that just because lockdown and being working from home is actually okay for us. We can get by and it's, you know, we're actually quite productive when we're working from home, then it's not true of everyone. Um, the people operations team are just just awesome humans and the way they've engaged with everyone uh, to make sure that we're keeping in touch as best we possibly can, uh, not just, you know, from a pastoral care perspective, as well as just general, uh, generally looking after people and trying to provide an environment for them to flourish still. Uh, it's, I, I think it just goes to culture. I genuinely love working in ANS. I love working in ANS. I love the people that I work with. Um, and I would go as far as to say, I do, there's lots of people that I do love. I, you know, I care about the families. I care about them. And, I've, I, I, it, it, and because we have, I'm allowed to swear on this. You can swear if you want. <laughs> I was going to say, having a no dickheads policy for many, many years, you know, an informal and formal one, I suppose, um, has really, really helped us because in times like this where you are, you do actually see the true colour of people and, and their, you know, the principles and the way that, you know, the morals and the way they engage and you see the real metal of people, I think having a no dickheads policy is probably the most important thing because uh, not everybody's the same. We have introverts, we've got extroverts, we've got, you know, we've got uh, lots of women that work at ANS as well as men and everything in between. It's just... Mm. And nobody's we're not all the same but the core bits that are really important when stuff gets real and it gets it gets difficult the fact that we recruit people and we work with people like that says everything when times get tough and i think that's probably been indicated better than ever during covid yeah it's it's put a magnifying glass over over everything i think because and it, everything seems to be heightened everyone's emotions have been heightened it's brought out the best in people it's brought out the worst in people and when you bring it all together as a 
as a whole, I think overall we've all carried each other through this and we're nearly through the end and I can't wait to see what party at Liv is planning for the summer. It's cut. Co- it's coming, don't you worry. You're not getting any sneak <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I think for, for me as well, about culture, one of the things that I personally have, have missed the most over the last 12 months is is the people and getting together and the social element of being in the office, the socialising out of work as well after our you know, quarterly all-staff meeting events and, and things like mm. that. So, and, and I think that's, you know, a lot of people have, have said that um over the last couple of months and are definitely looking forward to it and that you know they're not turning around saying oh god i'm i prefer it i don't want to see your faces every day <laughs> everybody's saying no let me get back in the office and, and get back together which is a testament to the culture yeah. um and, and also secondly for me like just you know i feel like we we, we have flourished um yeah. you know people people put them in put people in hot water and see how they react and, and that's exactly what happened last march and so many great innovations so many great ideas have come out of the last 12 months um even just you know looking internally at some of the the initiatives that we've launched with csr and with the way we communicate with each other and doing virtual champagne fridays that are even more successful than they ever were in person we've learned so much and changed and and, and developed and grown that i think there's loads of things that we can carry forward yeah. with us when when we get back to it to, to normal uh, i think most people do miss the off the office atmosphere you know yeah. as it was um and i know that we were unlikely certainly for a long while maybe ever get it to the point where most people are in the office most of the time and i'm okay yeah. with that uh, but I am looking forward to getting it to the to the point where some of the people are in uh, some people are in the office most of the time. <clears throat> that that really is going to be a highlight of just you know the buzz in the office, people chatting, just looking around, people laughing, enjoying themselves. I, I do miss just sitting back in my seat sometimes in the office and just looking around and appreciating that we you know we've got a business where people enjoy each other's company. I, I have missed that. Yeah. Exactly. I, I was um, one of the points I know that we've been talking about, like the history of the the physical office, which I'm not going to go into here. But um, I was saying that one of the things is that it's what we've one of the ways that people have changed in the way that we work is that you don't have to necessarily be in a single geographical location to do a job and do it well. And um, but A and S have always been like that. You know, there's never been a you must be here at this time and leave at this time. You you know, everyone knows what they've got to do and they've all got a task. And you do your task, and you can. And if you're more successful doing it externally, you do it externally. It's it, it's always been a very sort of yes business. What's best for you? You know, I remember two three years ago you making a statement saying if you you know if you want to need to spend more time with your family then w- w- tell us we will work with you so you spend more time with your family i mean it's that that kind of attitude and when you're reading in the in the news that you know some of the big four have people working 80 plus hours a week and and i'm being generous when i say that number because it's actually a lot higher you know to to be in an organization which is yes focused and saying well let's work make it work for you to make your life better and I think that's really refreshing. And it has actually, um, when we move out of the pandemic and we're going back to the office, that's why I think you're going to be really surprised and you're going to see a lot more people in the office. And I think you the reckon will be there, including me. <laughs> if anything, it would just be me and you, Paul, talking about crisps. Yeah, that sounds absolutely fine to me. <laughs> um, but as, as a leader, as someone who has been a leader for, 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 for a few years now, um, have you ever made a decision that you uh, is there any decision you wish you didn't make? Yeah, there's been there's been a few. There've been one in particular always sticks in my mind where we were. It was in the 
relatively early days of us becoming a you know, proper managed service provider and started to mix with the much bigger organisations as competitors. And we were building a, uh, a calculator to work out how we priced um, infrastructure as a service, backup as a service and whatnot. And that was me. I built that calculator from scratch. And there was a lot of intellectual property went into it, a lot of and hours and hours and hours. But at the point where we started testing it on customers, we were we, it was given to a couple of the pre-sales uh, guys to work with so that they could price up these opportunities. And it was becoming quite cumbersome because I had passwords on it. <clears throat> and every time I was making changes, I had to uh, unlock everything with the passwords, then make one tweet, then send it back, then do it again. And eventually, <clears throat> I made the decision I shouldn't have done, which was I took all the passwords off. And I sent it to uh, the pre-sales person and said, right, this is, this is all of your feedback is now incorporated in it. But I sent it without the password on. And through not, not their fault at all, and I won't name who it was because they still work for us and turned into an amazing, uh, amazing contributor in that team. But they, they accidentally forwarded the calculator to a customer. <sighs> and, yeah, with all the IP, all of the cost, everything, or how much we were paying for our story, everything was was uh, was in there. And they they rang me up and said, "Oh, I've just accidentally said so." I was like, "Oh my god, oh, that was the one without the password on." I thought I'm going to have to ring Scott and Paul. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to over it because I don't want the pre-sales guy to get in trouble for it because it's my fault. If, if I'd have left the password on, there'd have been no issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still wouldn't have been great, but it was nowhere near as bad because they saw all the formulas. So I rang. Uh, Scott first, who went absolutely berserk at me. He said, I'm so <laughs> angry at you, I can't even talk to you and put the phone down. And I was like, oh, no, that's that's not a good start to, to owning this problem. And then I rang Paul Sweeney, and Paul was like, okay, who's the customer? Okay, it's not a big customer. Just um, speak to uh, Business Assurance and get them to commit that they, they'll delete it because of ISO, whichever ISO it was that was applicable, 27,001, information security. And he was really, really calm. He said, how did Scott take it? I went, not as well as you. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, one, that's one decision. If I just, if I hadn't been, got to the point where I was getting annoyed and or a bit of laziness, really, of putting that password on and off and on and off, if I hadn't made that, then that, that would, I would never have had to make those two really difficult phone calls. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, you know, what was it? You, I remember you telling us to eat, to read the book, uh, eat my frog, eat that frog, which is about doing the, I'm, I'm not going to swear the worst thing you've got to do that day or the thing you're, you would look to avoid, just get it out of the way first. Yeah. And, um, it seems like that would be a kind of an eat, eat my frog moment. It definitely was, yeah. I knew it wasn't going to go well, but I, I wasn't expecting Scott to be so apoplectic with rage that he just put the phone down on me. So I thought, wow, that's gone really bad. <laughs> uh, I feel I felt like I wouldn't mind being a fly on the wall in that. Um, so uh, that was. So we talked a little bit about the past. Let's talk a bit about the future. One of the things we've talked about on this podcast, particularly Liv, is how they, um, when a new idea and a new strategy is displayed and then Liv takes the reins on how they're, how they're going to market it. And that for her is like a challenge that she absolutely lives for. Um, but before it gets to live, it's with you guys. And um, so as senior leadership, when you come up with new ideas or a new strategy or a new business plan on, 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 on the next 12 or 24 months, um, how does that all come about? What does, where, does it, where does the inception of the idea begin? That's a really good question. So I've got a, uh, an example, so I'll give you um, a bit of an insight into something that, well, no one outside the leadership knows. So we have uh, about 
two months ago, after Christmas, definitely after Christmas, about two months ago, we, I was sat at home having to think about, you know, the big ticket, exactly this big ticket, um, big ticket task that we really, really need to get our teeth into. And I remembered back to um, the, I think we called it the big six at the time. Um, and there were six initiatives or six goals that we were going to talk about at all staff meetings and in um any one-to-ones with everybody to make sure that we achieve these goals and I think out of the six I think we achieved five of them and the sixth one we were never going to achieve because it was completely ludicrous at the beginning um, but again it was a lofty goal and I realized I thought actually we haven't done anything like that for a few years so I I said right I sat down and said Let, let's uh, I sent a, uh, an email to SLT and said right get your thinking caps on we're going to have we want to come up with five big ticket we'll call it the big five the big ticket items and we had a meeting about two days after that email and that meeting was one of the best meetings I've been in for probably for as long as I can remember so we've had some amazing customer meetings where it just gets smashed out of the park and you feel really really good about it but in terms of internal meetings uh, the SLT that was just was sat back I didn't really say a lot really it was just a, a facilitating it and that, you know what about this and this is one idea that I've had I think I only came with two ideas and we came up with I don't know, there must have been 30 things that we thought could all uh, fall into that top five, big five category. I'm just sitting back and watching, uh, Liv was there as well, obviously, but just watching, you know, Liv, Dave Vuko and Jamie Sinclair and, uh, you know, Gaz and and everybody else just sitting there watching it, just thinking, there is nowhere in the world I would rather work and no one in the world I'd rather work with than these people just listening to it or coming up with amazing ideas. So we've done quite a lot of work on it since then, and it's been held. And then the subsequent meetings have been amazing as well. We'll get into a bit more detail. Uh, but that—that's how it's that. That's how it. Well, I don't know if it is everywhere, but in ANS is one person, not always me, certainly not always me, will have the genesis of an idea, and then it will get um, articulated at a very, very, very high level in a in SLT or in a board meeting. Usually in SLT, actually, that's where all of the real magic happens. Actually, board meetings are a lot more formal, just delivering news really rather than the ideas. So in SLT, someone will come up with that. Listen, I've had this idea. Everyone will get involved, and then whoever then needs to take the action or the or all the actions get allocated out to people. That's how it works. So for for Liv at the beginning of the year, she obviously has a significant amount of activity that's related. But in a, those strategy sessions, some of the work can go to Liv, and then some of it can go to Rachel or whoever. But when we when we reconvene, you can see it like a, a jigsaw really. The, yeah. the, the teams have done all their work and just get slotted in together to, to, to start seeing the jigsaw. It's pretty amazing to watch and be part of, to be fair. Do you know what? I've got pictures in my head. As you were describing that, the picture I have in my head is people like stood around a big whiteboard. And for some odd reason, Steve Jobs is there. But I think that's the Andy Barrow of the show. And um, you, you, and everyone sat there and you've got this, uh, um, this uh, mind map on this whiteboard and you're basically everyone's adding another thing to it and going yeah but and we can do this and we can do this and we can do this and it's just yeah. got infectious energy that is a really good characterization of it and you know we in those meetings particularly even though they can be quite intense we have an absolute riot as well where the, mm. everyone's having the mickey taken out of them or a laugh or you know jokes and it's just it is a mega mega environment and i know it's not just um confined to SLT and ANS. I know that all the teams have something similar on a regular basis and they have great, but just, yeah, being part of that is, is amazing. Yeah. Would you say that openness and honesty, oh, well, we obviously know that openness and honesty is important 
at ANS at every kind of level. I mean, me and me and uh, Jade, we do our one-to-ones with, with a bottle of wine. We call them one-to-ones with wine. I always think that a little bit of alcohol makes people a little bit more honest. And uh, and we always have a screen with stuff like that. And um, But we, why would you say that openness and honesty is such an important trait at ANS? I mean, you could say it's an important trait for any business, really, but at, particularly at ANS. Uh, I think we... I think we do a really good job, uh, and it's important to the people who stay at ANS for a long time that we don't. I don't. We don't really have this line of demarcation of <clears throat> this is the way to behave in work, and mm. this is the way you behave outside of work. Whatever's really important to us, the morally and principles and what and what have you, and honesty and openness uh, are important to all of the people at ANS really in their personal life. Why would we ring fence that? Well, that's that's our personal life. We don't bring those principles. A lot of the principles that people feel really strongly about, which is why those birds of a feather have flocked together at ANS, is is we 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 put that through our work environment as well. Mm-hmm. And openness and honesty. I report. I want to be able to go to bed at night, be able to look myself in the mirror, even if I have to make a really hard, a really tough decision, have a really difficult conversation. I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say that was really hard. I don't like doing those uh, those conversations, but they needed doing it. And it had to be done that way because the person I've just delivered that news to will be able to take some, uh, they'll be able to take the criticism and the observations, and they'll be able to do something with it rather than pussyfooting around and never really get to the nub of the issue. I've always found that people, if you are open and honest, and people feel like you're genuine and you are empathetic, empathetic with it, people can take some really really difficult feedback, and they will. They might not be happy at the time they're hearing it, but the way it's delivered with empathy and being open and honest, people almost universally, I don't, I can't remember a scenario where they've come back the following day going, do you know what, you're really out of order there. People, <laughs> just generally speaking, they'll say, do you know what, that was fair, I didn't like hearing it at the time, but thanks for being honest about it. And even as if people are leaving, they're exiting the business because you know the paths have diverged so much. Even on those conversations, and I've had those with some people who have mm. considered the friends at the time, and still friends now, that the, in being able to deliver it in that way means that if the people that you're talking to are decent people, they, it won't ruin a friendship. It won't yeah. turn into you know combust into something horrible. Generally speaking, people will take it on the chin. Yeah, and as well, I, I think when it comes to openness and honesty, it doesn't always need to be. It's not an. It's not a negative. I mean, sometimes you might be delivering news or or or, or feedback which is negative in it in in a way, but it. it it, you can all openness and honesty is also a positive thing you know i think what you're doing is great i actually what and we do that when we obviously do the shout outs at, on virtual champagne friday and we now have the call wall on yammer which everyone can go by the way if you are listening to this podcast and you are in ans go onto yammer and go onto the call wall and um i want you to everyone to go and write one good one lovely thing about someone who works with you and i'm going to keep an eye on it over the over the next seven days because then I know, A, you're listening to the podcast, which everyone should be anyway, and B, that people are utilizing the call wall on Yammer because and openness and honesty, I think, is it's not just about being constructive. I think at the same time, it's about celebration as well. Yeah, I, I think we do do a good job of that, despite the fact yeah. that we have robust conversations. But I think we do do a good job of recognizing 
um, people in a positive way. Um, yeah. Even me, I, I, I thrive on being told I'm not good enough, but I, I'm, I'm aware that that's not the way that lots of people um, want to be treated and want to be uh, managed or led. I, I totally understand that. So I know that what's good for me is not necessarily good for everybody else. So I think mm. we do do a good job. Um, there are people yeah. who do a much better job of it than me. Um, yeah. But yeah, broadly speaking, as a business, I do think we recognised value that's been created and you know hard work or something exceptional i think we do do a good job of it mm. i agree i agree going back to you as as opposed because you've obviously you were 37 when you became ceo at ans um a ceo is for many people that's the pinnacle of their career you know that's that's you can't get much higher than that really um and they you would a lot of people work a lot longer to get to 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 where you are right now but I, I know that you're a big reader and you love um books about business and and books that are sort of business self self help because you've recommended a few which um which I know that a lot of people around the business do do read um do you continue to learn and develop yourself as a leader um even today uh, yes and um, i think probably the way that I've learned it's the most productive for me. So I do read a lot. I read a lot of articles. I follow a lot of business-based um, websites and, and, and podcasts and whatnot. But actually, I have got I've got a, a network of uh, mentors, if you like, that I've built up over the last few years. People that some of them are not, some are a similar age to me. It's not necessarily that they're older. It's just that they've got experience in areas that I, I feel like I'm weaker or need to need to progress. So even people that have been at competitors that I spend a lot of time with. So there's a, there's a, a guy called Phil Doy, who was the CEO of uh, Kelway and then CDW. Uh, one CDW, but Kelway, one of the loveliest guys that you could possibly meet. But also, in a, a street, he can be quite brutal in his honesty. So I know that if I ask him a question or mm. ask for some advice, I know I'm going to get it straight. Uh, and that actually is adding a load of value to me because I'm very practical. So being able to speak to someone who's been there, done it, and know that I'm going to get an honest assessment of either, you know, how I feel about something. If I can go to him and say, listen, I, th I think X, Y, and Z, what do you think? I know that he's going to turn around and go, no, no, don't do that. Do it this way, do that way, or maybe you've not thought about this. Uh, so that that's adding a load of value, and that's that's probably where the development comes from most mm. regularly for me now. Yeah, so it's like having a mentor, really. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Liv? Because you've obviously you've been marketing director for for a number of years now. And um, do you are you continually taking time to learn and develop yourself as a leader as well? Yeah, I think I think you have to, don't you? I think for, for me, similar to Paul, it's it's that network of mentors. I, I don't have a formal mentor or coach anymore. Um, but but when I did, it was you know someone outside the business who was marketing related and you know ran an agency and had exposure to it from that side and it just gave me a perspective and a, and a, and a viewpoint that I couldn't get from ANS. Mm. Um, and then, you know, later more biz business related mentors and, and checking in with them when, you know, you've got problems that you need to look outward for. Um, also a lot of reading, um, a lot of reading really just to keep learning and broadening your horizons and, and um, expanding your knowledge. So yeah, I think it's continual in continual improvement. Um, final question: uh, um, Do you have any mantras that you live by, Mr. Shannon? Yeah, I, I love these, and people who know me well know that I, I love them. So Paul Sweeney, um, 
imparted a number of them uh, on us. So if Olivia was going to say the same thing, then I won't say them all. But one of them is that um, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. Um, and that always, always stuck with me. And I, and I hate being late uh, for customer meetings. I can't stand it. So I'm always really early. And that's something that really stuck with me. But on a, from, a, from a life perspective, my dad's dad, my granddad, uh, who was just a total legend. I just loved him. He was an amazing guy. And he used to say when we were kids that he said, even if you've got to be brutally protective uh, about only spending time with people who make you feel good, um, if you, if you, and that could be family, friends, whoever it is, if anyone starts being toxic um, and starts, starts bringing you down, you have to extract yourself from that and just spend time with people who make you feel good. I think if, if I've done one thing well in my life, um, which has been, you know, then the, the sort of like the foundation for being successful with friendships and, you know, family and, and work, it is actually that I am really brutally protective of only spending time with people who make me feel good. Uh, mm. And it's really stuck me in good stead. That's a, that's a good way of, of, um, of living, really. It's, uh, you should only surround yourself with people who, um, who, not compliment you in the in the, the that kind of way but i mean um they compliment you you know they bring they enrich your life in some way shape or form and i think it's it, my mum used to always say to me you can count your real friends on one hand and uh when i was younger i never believed her and now i'm on the verge of turning 40 i can 100 percent understand where she was coming from yeah she's right. dead on yeah you can't, you can't have hundreds of friends well you can you can have hundreds of people who um are friendly and acquaintances yeah. but in terms of the people who when stuff gets real and it's hard yeah. and difficult and you need to support they're the people who really count and they're usually on one hand yeah they're the ones who would travel overseas if they needed for me if they needed to you know they're the ones that get on a plane um live what same question to you do you have any mantras um, not not that you guys haven't all touched on really it's like it's all the same I think I, I, I do believe in a you know live every day as if it's your last and you know loads of positive mantras the the, the same ones that that um that Paul mentioned there about Paul Sweeney if you're not early you're late if you're not first you're last um that that kind of spurs me on from a business perspective about being being quite competitive um so yeah just just all that really not one not one mm. specific one uh finally um I, we always this is the last episode of the series uh i don't know i think we're taking a month break or something i'm not really sure but we will be back but we have to find out i know paul you are a big fan of world cinema and world television and um as i was my um as my partner calls it i can't be asked reading subtitles and uh but um so i'm looking forward to seeing to seeing to hearing what you've been watching over the last few weeks um, I also on subtitles. Just a slight aside, I read an article the other day that children who watch TV shows with subtitles on, even if they're watching a show in their own native language, it actually accelerates their, their reading capability and their vocabulary massively. So it it, it is actually helpful to watch shows um, with subtitles on if you've got kids watching it. So that is a useful tip. Uh, but I watch a very oh, eclectic mix of documentaries. So in the last couple of weeks, I've watched Blackfish, which is about uh, killer whales and the way they were mistreated by SeaWorld. Um, I have watched uh, One of Us, which is about Hasidic Jews 
uh, and Hasidic Jews leaving the community. I've watched, oh, I've got loads of Capturing the Freedmans, which I won't give you a synopsis. <gasps> I have seen, yeah, Capturing the Freedmans is a, that's a masterpiece. That's it is a masterpiece, yeah. Um, it's hard uh, watch. Yeah, it's a very, very tough watch, yeah, but it's, it's worth it. Uh, I've watched uh, Jink, The Jinx, which is an, an HBO uh, documentary from a few years ago about Robert Durst in this really peculiar uh, guy that is part of a big New York real estate family. So up there, you know, similar to the Trumps, um, the he's a very, very strange man. I know you've got good world. taste, so I'm actually writing these all down as you yeah, mention the, the them. Jinx is amazing. That's about a guy that was part of this real estate family who went off the reservation, allegedly killed his first wife made one of his friends go missing, then killed, then definitely killed another person, but managed to get off on the technicalities. Yeah, it's five or six episodes, and they're all amazing. So right. that's my back. I like watching documentaries. Definitely. I'm gonna, that jinx is going to be downloaded tonight. Come on, Liv, bring the tone down. That was all a bit highbrow for you. What have you been watching? <laughs> I'm going to bring the... Love cooks. I'm going to totally bring the tone down with um, a really cheesy American Desperate Housewives rip-off called Ginny and Georgia. Ginny and Georgia. What is Ginny and Georgia about? I loved it. It's just like this mother-daughter, really cheesy, just 10 episodes. Um, really like got a bit of a sinister twist like um, Desperate Housewives, but just watch that over the Easter weekend really like mind-numbingly didn't yeah no intellectual um capacity for it whatsoever but yeah totally bring the tone down sorry paul <laughs> oh, i watched sea spiracy as well which is a very very tough watch really tough watch which That's one documentary about how we're killing the seas okay oh right okay i'm writing that one. i literally Netflix, i have so this weekend um so as you guys know, I have a problem with my eye, so I have to have injections every six weeks um, to maintain the vision in my left eye, and I, and it gives me, and I have to have a couple of days to recover. Now, I made a silly mistake with my watching this week because everyone has been talking about Line of Duty, and um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch Line of Duty because I need to find out what the fuss is about, and I'd never seen it before. So me and my partner, we actually watched the entire series over Easter weekend, and then because I had had the eye injection and I couldn't see through my eye properly, I didn't realize I was watching series five. So I finished series five. And then when we started watching series one, we're like, well, she's dead and he's already dead. And I know he's dodgy. So I don't know. You've absolutely, we've absolutely wrecked series one to four because there were too many spoilers in five. But um, Line of Duty, I have to say, is bloody good. I've seen all. I don't. What season is it on? Five. It's on. It's on season six now on BBC. So I've watched the first five, but not the not the, the I've not watched the latest one yet. Yeah. The, yeah. See, no. No spoilers for season six, please. Yeah, I haven't started six because now I'm watching. I finished one last night, so I'm going to start season two tonight. Because this is what I like about UK TV, is it's nice. It's six or seven episodes. It's not a huge commitment. Do you remember when they used to do 24 episode seasons in in the States? And they were like like the X-Files and even Desperate Housewives. They were 45 minutes apiece. And it was a real, a proper commitment. Yeah, the West Wing. was. Yeah. That was a a lot of episodes per season. Ah, the West Wing was so good though. Oh my gosh. I've uh, probably one of the greatest TV shows ever made as far as I'm concerned. The writing in that is just exceptional. Aaron Um, Sorkin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Alice and Janney was just amazing in it. 
Right, um, I know I've taken up way too, my, way more time than we said we were going to do. Paul, thank you so much for coming on and being oh, a fan, fantastic guest. Um, it's been a great end to a first season. Liv, it hasn't it been? It's been emotional. It's been emotional. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed every episode. Um, should we do a big shout out to producer Kate as well? Thank you for putting yeah. up with us, for keeping us on track, um, for doing all the prep and getting all our guests ready and all the preparation questions and stuff. You've been amazing. Thank you. And and the editing, honestly, Kate, we couldn't, I'd say we couldn't do it without you. We actually literally couldn't do it without you i mean anyone can do what me and Liv do but what you do is is actually amazing so thank you so much we love you and on that note ladies and gentlemen if you've been listening to this podcast on your fruit-based device please do not forget to hit that subscribe button if you've been listening to it on spotify which is the green app app the green app and then please um hit that follow button and if you like what you've been listening to do not forget to leave us a five star review and some kind words because it helps with the apple algorithm thank you so much i've been anthony she's been olivia olivia she's been olivia he's been mr paul shannon we'll be back in a few weeks thank you for listening and stay safe